why I like doing stuff. Just anybody and everybody gets to win. Praise the Lord. Uh, no, seriously, happy Father's Day to all of our dads. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for uh, your model that uh, that you help us form in, in, in the lives of people here. And uh, we hope you have a great day. Uh, eat a steak for me and uh, have a, just have a good day. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 today is where we're going to hang out. Um, if you'll go ahead and turn with me there. And as you're turning there, I just want to remind you of some things that uh, the reason why we come on Sundays, you know, many times we, we, we think we, we come on to church on Sundays to, to see friends or to see people we haven't seen in a week. But really, the reason why we come on Sundays is to listen to the Word of God. You don't listen to me. You listen to the Word. Uh, submit our thinking to what God says. Uh, what uh, That should honestly be our goal, that when we leave this place, we, we've turned from our thoughts that, We've been thinking or lies that, that maybe we've been listening to our, our whole lives to ultimately turning to this truth. And, and my prayer is everything that is preached and everything that has taught is his truth. I, I hope that uh, we aren't here at the end of the day to say, I went to church today. Uh, my hope and prayer every week is that as we feast on the word, it will not be uh, our thoughts, it will be his thoughts, it wouldn't be our vision or my vision, it would be his vision, it wouldn't be our ministry or my ministry, it would be his ministry, because his thoughts are way higher than our thoughts, and his ways are much greater and higher than our ways. So to catch everyone up really quick, uh, we're in the middle of this series, we've been here for about seven weeks now, today is week number seven, and and we're smack dab in the middle of Philippians. Uh, we're, we're looking at one of Paul's letters that while he wrote in prison, uh, he was concerned for his brothers. He was concerned for his sisters of the church at Philippi. Uh, he's basically teaching us what it looks like to live on mission together, uh, to be on mission together, what, what it's like to be in Jesus on mission. But at times, uh, he gets to the root of things, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And primarily today, we're going to look at two verses. I, I just could not get away from these two verses. And if I would have went over two verses, we would have been here for two hours today. Uh, so I didn't do that. Um, but there is so much meat in these two verses that I, I just felt like it was important that we not rush through the text and just say we finished another section, but that we would continue the feast on it. So Philippians chapter 2, uh, looking at verses 12 and 13 today. Paul says these words, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, if you really read that, that's some good stuff there. Hey, the central part of this passage, the very middle says, work out your own salvation. See that in the, in the center there, that, that little teeny tiny paragraph of two verses, work out your own salvation. Does that cause any kind of emotional response for you? Um, I, I know when I was reading this this week, I... Uh, it got so confusing for me. 
Uh, I, I don't have to claim this passage because God definitely gripped my heart for this passage this week. Um, it transformed my thinking. Uh, this, this is a passage that, that often I turn to uh, in ministry when I feel struck, when the questions of life start coming up. The passage can be a huge encouragement to you. We're going to work on this passage kind of like a kid eats Oreos. You ever seen a kid eat Oreos? He breaks it apart, he eats the middle part, and then he eats the outside. That's what we're going to do with these two verses today. We're going to digest on the middle part of it, and then we're going to work ourselves out from it and work around it. Um, like if, we can't, if we can't get anything else, we can't miss to work out your own salvation. Um, I, I've learned the last few months to take the centrality of the text um, really to, to challenge my thinking, to work myself back. Uh, it's challenged my thinking, and I hope that uh, this series has challenged your thinking a little bit. Uh, we're not just going to look at a command. We're going to look around at the context of that command, and we're going to see other verses around that. And what we don't want is for us to make this passage what we want it to say. People so often do that with Scripture, don't they? Uh, and, and that's not the aim here. We're, we're here to listen to God's word, not, not impose our thinking on God. And so let's look at that statement, work out your own salvation. The command work out, get this, the command work out means to work out. That's what it means. Uh, it, it means to produce, to, uh, to create, to uh, maybe accomplish something. It's a, a phrase that is used a lot, work out. It's used in Romans 5.3 where, where Paul writes, suffering produces perseverance. The word produces is the same word of work out when it's translated back to the original text. Uh, suffering produces perseverance. Does it always? No, absolutely not. Sometimes suffering produces depression. Uh, sometimes uh, suffering produces despair. And that statement is in a particular context. Uh, suffering in, in light of God's work is working itself out in perseverance. In, in light of who God is, it produces something. It's something like working out in the field. Think about it for a moment. You can't make that field grow if there's nothing there for it to grow. A gardener can't make plants grow. It takes special nutrients, right? It, it, it's not just going to be, uh, well, I don't know. You can put water on it, but my wife's not here. She, she doesn't have a green thumb, people. Um, I, I don't, we, could, we, couldn't, we couldn't keep an artificial plant alive. Um, <laughs> better yet, a real plant. But the gardener works in that garden a lot. Has anybody got a garden? Uh, man, it, you have to work that thing every day. If not, you're behind. And if you haven't worked on it already today, you're, you're already behind. Uh, it's not for me. But, but you can't just create tomatoes and cucumbers from the ground. Like, it just doesn't happen. You have to put work into it. You have to work that out. This work out your own salvation is to make visible uh, God's eternal salvation uh, here and now. It, it doesn't mean that I need to work for my salvation. Okay, are we together on that? Hear me on this. Uh, no one can work for their salvation. That We don't believe that. That's, 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 not, that's not us. No one can work for salvation. That's a huge difference 
between Christianity and every religion out there. You cannot work for it. Paul is going to make that very clear in chapter 3 of Philippians when we get there. We will get uh, probably a couple of weeks. Give me a few more weeks. He said, I have no confidence in my flesh. That's what he says in chapter 3. Paul says, I can't do anything in my flesh to make me right with God, and you can't either. The only thing that you can do is acceptance. Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. It's not the work, but it's the faith that declares it right with him. Ungodly people, as if they're right with him, his faith is counted as righteousness. I love Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, and we'll, we'll read verse 10 a little later. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Titus 3, uh, 4 through 8. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, to have been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So, so we're not saved by works. This doesn't mean that Paul is being passive about works and that we, shouldn't be, uh, that we should be passive about works. In verse 8 of Titus 3 that we just read, uh, we see that this is a faithful saying, and, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And Titus, he seems to be saying the same thing that he's saying in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He's not calling us out to work for our salvation. He's calling us to work out our salvation. He wants it to be visible within us so that it pours into others at Cross Life. Hey, we are a group of believers. Uh, that, that's, that's who we are. We, we are a group of Christ followers. We're not a group of people who just live in Salisbury and the surrounding area as believers. If we're a believer today, we will one day be dwelling in heaven for eternity. He's pretty much saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's like, bring it down. Live it out. Live out your life. Work it out in your relationships, in your community. That's your work. Make it visible. Look, it doesn't do us any good as a church if all we do is come in, close the doors, lock them, and let nobody else in. It doesn't do us any good to be a church if there's no community outreach where people can see the light of Christ being shown. It doesn't do us any good. And that's the central part of this passage. Are we still together? Everybody still together? Okay. Um, hopefully I'm not going over your head today. Work, work out your own salvation. That, that's the central command. And in order for us to start understanding that maybe a little more clearly, we're going to look at two different phrases around that command. One in front of it and one, in, one behind it. And we're going to have three points and we're going to make those pretty quick. Let's look back at the beginning of verse 12. 
as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, so whatever it means to work out your own salvation, it means it needs to be done freely. And what, what, is, what does he mean by, by freely? Paul says, hey guys, we're, we're characterized by obedience. Paul loved the people of Philippi. I think if you read chapter 1 and, and, and you're, you're halfway through chapter 2 right now, you will see that, that Paul absolutely loved these people. It doesn't mean they were sinless when he says, you have always obeyed. As I was getting ready this morning and just, um, just reading my notes like I always do and, and just having my, my, my own time with God and prayer, I started thinking about this. I could tell you the same thing Paul says to the church at Philippi. Cross life, you, you have always obeyed. When, when, we, when we throw something out there to you, you do it. In your heart, I, I believe, and in my heart, I believe that, that the people that we have here have a, a sensitivity to the Word of God. Like we we want to be people of the Word. We, we don't want to disobey the Word. Does anybody here want to disobey God's Word? Uh, I, I pray not. Hey, and it's like when God says, it, it may be hard, hey, but, but, but bring it on. It may seem impossible, but we want to know what he says. Like we're going to do what he tells us to do. And I pray that we want to submit ourselves to that. And that's basically what Paul is sharing with the people of Philippi. He says, as you have always obeyed, not just when I'm there with you, he says, I, I want to call you to, to learn to work out your own salvation even when I'm on the other side of the world. Even when I'm not around, I want you to continue working it out, learning yourself. I was talking to somebody in our church this week, and we were, we were, we were in a pretty deep conversation of, of, of the Bible. And, and, and this is what I, I finally said. The only way that you can understand the Bible is for you to read it for yourself and gain your own understanding. Oh, church, you can hear me all day long. And I can preach to you what the Lord lays on my heart over and over and over. But if you're not in the word yourself, and you're not reading it for yourself, you're never going to gain your own understanding of Scripture. Does that make sense? Uh, we, we, have, we have to work it out for ourselves. If not, then you're just going to have... What Thomas says, or, or what your Bible study leader says, or what another pastor says. You've got, you've got to read it for yourself. So working it out freely does, does not mean following just a, a certain group of laws. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean someone is looking over your shoulder and be like, you better be in church tomorrow. Hey, did you read your Bible today? Like, no, we should be past that. Paul is talking about working out your own salvation through this uh, transformative work that takes place between you and God. What Paul doesn't want for the people at Philippi is to live one way when they're home and then live another way when they're around believers. He's not interested in that. The, the kind of Christianity that is known as the, the fear, man, this is the way I'm in church. This is the way that I'm in my office. This is the way that I'm going to be at the party. Paul's like, no, that's not what we're talking about. He says it's done freely. Who you are at church is you, who you should be when the lights are off. That's what Paul's talking about. The second phrase on the outside of this is what Paul says, work out your own salvation with what? With fear and trembling. 
That sounds like Old Testament a little bit. Hey, people read the New Testament and think there should be no fear. There should, there should be no trembling. Everyone is just buddies with God. Paul is saying this whole thing of working out your salvation, there is definitely uh, just this seriousness to it. Some people look at life and say, well, I've got grace because God says I, I do, and that's what really matters. Have you noticed that the definition of grace has been watered down today? Uh, think about the American church. It's like grace means do whatever you want to on Saturday night. And on Sunday, if you come to the altar and ask for forgiveness, you can get grace from God. And that's the mentality. And we seem to be okay with that today. That just go do whatever you want to do. But as long as you come to church on Sunday and you ask God for forgiveness, he's going to give you grace. And then if you question that, in today's time, I would be labeled as what they would call a legalist. And they would say, you don't know grace, I know grace. Look, I know God's grace. I, I, I've experienced God's grace. But if I'm living in a sin, and I've asked for forgiveness one time, but then I go back tomorrow morning and I do it all over again, Eventually, it's just a repetitive sin. And I'm not saying God can't forgive that. I believe he will forgive that if your heart is right. But that's not the way to look at grace. Listen to me this morning. We stand, or in our case, you're sitting, uh, in the presence of, of a holy God. New Testament believers haven't lost any of that. In a sense, it's greater. It's a, it's a, it's a deeper also. Whatever it means to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, it's done Freely and it's done humbly, uh, uh, reverent all, a joyous fear. David says in Psalm 2, rejoice in trembling. Have you ever done that? I don't even know what that means, rejoice in trembling. That, that's how the early believers responded when Jesus rose from the dead. It's like you put fear and joy in the blender and that's what you got. Working out your own salvation, Paul says, is done freely, humbly, and prayerfully. Is the fear being afraid that, that we're not going to make it? Uh, the fear that, that God is going to reject us? You know, if I, if I mess up one time, does my, my grace run out? That's not where the fear comes. This is where we have to take this passage and we just have to keep moving out from it. And I believe that's where the humility will flow from. And what we're going to do here is we're going to move from this command, these two phrases... To looking a little bit more at the context, but keep opening up the picture. We're gonna we're gonna find this command done freely and humbly, how it occurs in this particular context of where this passage is. And that's the question we want to wrestle with for the rest of our time this morning. There, there's three things I want us to look at. The first one's this, and I believe it's pretty obvious. It's from God. It is from God. Look at verse 12. He says these words, therefore, my beloved. You, you have to back up to the very beginning of verse 12. And we read those words, therefore, my beloved. That word, therefore, is pointing us backwards. It's pointing us back to what Paul said to us probably about three weeks or so ago. I, I don't exactly remember uh, where we looked at chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. That the church of, of, of Philippi was, was scatterproof. 
Do you remember that, that message, scatterproof, the meaning when external opposition comes in, don't be frightened by your opponents. Hey, don't panic in, in the midst of the stampede. Don't freak out and scatter. Be scatterproof. Stay together. And then we, as we travel to the beginning of chapter 2, we looked at that word shatterproof. And, and, and what we did with shatterproof, meaning it, it isn't just the outside that can cause us to scatter, but it's also the inner conflict that can cause us to shatter and make us stick together with the one commonality that we have, and that's Jesus. And what we did at the end of that message is everybody stood around this room, and you locked arms together. And I said, as long as we lock arms together, this link, this bond cannot be broken. I hope you remember that. I hope it made an impact on you. That's why at the, verse, at the end of these verses, chapter um, verses 1 through 4, Paul's calling us to this life of humility, to think others are more significant than ourselves. We looked at that two weeks ago, and that sounds impossible. And, and just what our thinking and our doing, but he's encouraging us as we continue to travel through this chapter to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's not just telling us to follow the example of Christ which is uh, he's saying that that and we should be doing that, but he's also telling us to embrace the mindset that it's already ours because we exist in Jesus. And that's what we looked at last week. So you see how everything kind of comes together and then it's coming this way, and he's saying it this way, and this may be confusing, and I'll try to make it where it's not. The way you live in community, the way you live in community is defined and transformed by the way you already exist in Jesus. I'm going to say it one more time. The way you live in community is defined and transformed by the way that you already exist in Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Your participation in Christ from the story of the incarnation to the humiliation to the exaltation. Remember we were talking how 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 Jesus went down, 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 and God brought him up, up, up. The exaltation, that's the, that's the peaking point, shapes what the community life looks like. Some of you are like, man, what is this guy talking about? Um, let's see if we can lighten it up some. So, so I was probably 9 or 10 years old when I was introduced to Shark Week on TV. Hey, anybody, anybody ever watch Shark Week? I remember at 9 or 10 years old being introduced to that, and I was introduced to the movie Jaws. Anybody ever seen Jaws? That, that, man, I'm still freaked out to this day. That metal frame shark uh, that haunted me for years. And, and, but that's not it. Then our family went to the beach about a month later, and I remember I was scared to death to get into that water. You know how it is in the summertime anyway. You get out there in the ocean and the waves are tossing over you and, and it's crowded because the parents couldn't afford to get the beach house. We had to stay at the hotel where the 7,000 people out of 10,000 are at Myrtle Beach and that's where we're at and everybody's on the beach together and, and, and everybody's legs are touching everybody's legs and, and every time you're like, shark! You know, just freaking out. That was me. 
at 9 or 10 years old. I, I remember going, I wanted to stay at the pool, but I was still afraid the shark was going to come into the pool. That, that was me. Every, every time there was a break in the wave, it was like, okay, I got to think about this. But I started thinking about that this week. I, I remember it so clearly, even when I was 9 or 10. But every break in the wave is also a break in between the waves is our thinking. You know, have you ever thought about it like that? Like your life, when the wave comes crashing over you, it stinks. Like life's terrible at that point. But eventually that wave breaks up and it, and it gets calm again. And sometimes it may only be calm for 48 hours. But then that wave crashes over you again. But it's a, it's a break in our thinking. The story that has become your story and is shaping how we determine every bump, every fin, every shark, uh, every wave. I haven't watched that movie since, by the way. Now, let's, th let's think a million times more than that. What Paul is saying, when you have entered into Christ's story, this isn't you watching a movie. This, this is your story in Christ Jesus. Jesus' incarnation of, of, of humbling himself to obedience to death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection is your story. You've been united in Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. That, that is not just a, a set of facts that, that you believed when you were seven years old. Okay, that, that's your story. That is your life. And, and our kids in a, in a few weeks at Vacation Bible School are going to be learning just that. What Christ did for them. It's Father's Day. I, I've got to preach to our fathers for a minute. The, does, does your children see you model Christ for them? Do, does your life reflect that, that you are a believer? Does, does your spouse see you model Christ for them? Does it, does it matter to you that your home be built on Christ or just whatever it is in your life that is consuming you at that time? Because dads, we have work to do. We have a lot of work to do. Your son needs you. Your, your daughter needs you. It isn't someone else's job to raise our kids it is our responsibility to be fathers. It's not the church's job. Listen to this. It is not the church's job to teach your kids the Bible. It is your job and the job of your home to teach them the Bible. It is the church's job to nurture them in truth and be a further asset to what they gain at home. That is the church's job. The church's job is to nurture them. Does that mean that we're going to have somebody come off the street and they've never been in church in their life and we're going to teach them? Absolutely. We're going to teach them how to model their home. But we're going to say it needs to start at home. Fathers, you can't expect your kids to be reading the Bible if they don't see you reading the Bible. You can't expect your kids to pray if they don't see their daddy praying. And it's great to teach them to be good with hands. Look, I... I'm trying to learn to be good with my hands over there in the fellowship hall. <laughs> I wish my dad would have taught me that stuff. But there's one thing that my dad did teach me, and that's to love the Lord. 
and to love his word and to love my family and to love it well and to to know that when the waves start crashing over me in life that I have a God that I can pray to and he will answer me. Everything that goes on in your life is shaped by you and the gospel. He's talking about dying to ourselves, dying to our sin. Even in the beginning of chapter 2, and our opinion to our cravings, to our right, to our reputations, to our fears, and being raised in Christ to walk in the newness of life. That is not an event that just occurred in the past. It is the lens in which we interpret everything. Have this mind which is in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So this past week, as God just continued to uh, expose my heart and... um, continue to just bathe in his word for myself, he continues to pick things out. I don't like when God does that. Uh, He starts picking things out that I'm doing wrong in my life. The more you read, the more you will find out what you're doing wrong. And and I'm and I'm I'm glad that I am uh finally realizing some things that that Thomas has been doing wrong. I can I contribute that to going overseas about a month and a half ago. God transformed my heart during that trip. It sounds like I'm going back in December, so y'all pray for me uh, as we as we go back for round two. Uh, but but God's been saying some things to me that I haven't been happy about. Some wording that that maybe I've used as, as pastor or on social media and and through even our church page, I, I've tried to change that up and change the wording that I've used to not put cry, uh, cross life on this. This pedestal. And God used Luke chapter 16 verse 15 to break me. And Jesus said these words. You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. What what God's been telling me is you may think you are boasting in things that will impress people. But God's saying I'm not impressed. In church that... That'll hit you square between the eyes. God says, I'm not impressed. As God speaks to my heart and bringing me into that repentance, if if I'm trying to work out my own salvation like we're talking about today in this fleshly confidence, then I'm going to view every conviction of the Holy Spirit or confrontation of someone else being attacked on my dignity. But what if? What if I have this mind in me that is also the mind in Christ Jesus? It's another opportunity to be bathed in the gospel. That's God working in me to work out my salvation, to be formed in the image of Christ. We have to go down so he can bring us up. So all of that to say this, we get back to verse 12. And it says, therefore, my beloved. Paul is saying this is from God. When he commands us to work out our own salvation, it is done looking at the eternal plan of God. He saw the need. He sent his son, Jesus, to transform us. It's from God. But secondly, it's, from, it's through God. And we're, this one will move really fast. It's through God. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do. It is through God. The word work, that this idea, idea of energy. We, we get the word energy from work. It's not this human power in the, in the New Testament. It's the divine or demonic power in which it speaks of. Paul prayed the, the same prayer for the people in Ephesus in the book of Ephesians. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 18 through 21, that we would see the eyes of God that is working in us. 
Church, we, we've got to be praying that God would work in us and through us, that people would see him in us. It isn't about how much we can do. It isn't about the number of projects that we complete. It matters about how God works in us and make the impact when we're on mission together. Now, it doesn't mean we're not going to set goals within the church, but it's going to be goals that we set in the church that maybe the world doesn't need to hear. The same God who, who raised Jesus from the dead is the same God who took a dead body and, and, and tingled that body and, and brought it back to life. Is the same God who uses the same energy to transform us from the inside out. He's the one that says, work out your salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling. For it is the same who wants to do the will of the Father. He's transforming our desires and he desires for us to work. He wants to work in us. And that brings us to our final point. It is for God. It is for God. Verse 13. For it is God who works in both to will and to do for his good pleasure. The greatest miracle. I heard it said like this one time. You can, you can get a group of people who are eternal funnelers. And I didn't know what that meant, but now I do. And what I mean by that is you can take any message and make it about yourself. Eternal funnelers. Any sermon and make it about yourself. Any passage of scripture and twist it to your own liking. You make somebody else's problems and you hear about their problems, but you make it about yourself. We, we naturally take all the glory and make it about us. We're good at that. When in all reality, it's all about him. And then we wonder why we're miserable and why life's going bad. And what he's saying here is that when we're working out our own salvation with the fear and trembling, it is God, our creator, our sustainer, our savior, the one who sent his son for you, the one who loved you when nobody else did, the one who calls you beloved. That God is working in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Worship is not about us. Even if it's not my favorite song, even if it isn't my favorite Bible verse that's being preached, even if it's not the message that I want to hear, when I come into worship, it's about the Lord. There's, a, there's one thing that I love about preaching through books of the Bible. When you get to the hard text, you can't skip over it. Because somebody in here is writing notes, and you'll see that I skipped over a certain verse. It's about us in worship even if it's not the week that you wanted to have. All of us have bad weeks. Even if everything didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. It's about turning our hurt and, and our pain into joy for the Lord and being in His presence. It's, it's all for His good pleasure. Then our hearts should turn to joy in knowing what we've done and what God wanted us to do. His pleasure and our pleasure. His duty and our duty. When it goes on display through the cross, through the burial, through that resurrection, it begins to start merging to not just be his pleasure, but our pleasure as we're on mission together. Not just his duty, but our duty as believers. Work out your own salvation. It's from God. It's through God. It's for God. And then as I've always done through this series, I want to throw out just a few application thoughts for you. So you can gather some for this passage. Number one, number one application, God is the author and finisher of our faith. No, he starts it. He keeps it going. He finishes it. 
There's, there's no room for confidence in the flesh. I, I go back to Ephesians 2 that we, that we read just a, a little while ago in, in verses 8 and 9. But I go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And, and, and Paul says these words, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. We're not saved by works. We hit that. But the work that he does in our hearts, it transforms us, and it yields that through Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that there is a vain type of grace, which means an empty grace, a, 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 an unfruitful grace. Unfortunately, I feel like the American church today has messed it up for a lot of other churches. There's a lot of empty grace. Again, like we, we throw that word grace like it's just this, this ticket, this golden ticket. Like, hey, if you walk into the doors on Sunday, we're going we're gonna to give you the ticket to grace. And Paul says the grace of God is not in vain. It's not unfruitful. It's powerful. It's energizing. Sure, grace washes my slate clean, but it also energizes me to do more. It's not about you not receiving grace on Sunday. It's about what you're going to do with that grace when you leave the building. That we should work more. That we should love more. That we should share more. That we should serve more. Jonathan Edwards said these words. We, we are not merely passive, but nor yet does God do some and we do the rest, but God does all and we do all. God produces all and we act all. For that is what he produces, our own acts. God is the only proper author and fountain. We are the proper actors. We are in different respects, holy, passive, and holy active. So the problem for us is we're the actors. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't mean that, that we are actors as you could see on a stage. Don't, don't think that. He's not talking as if we're this, this stage prop. He means we're working out what he is working on and working in. Paul is not trying to make a point and, and just asking for, for answers and questions and never finding the answers. I want you to ask this question to yourself. Will I allow God to work in me so that I can work out? That's it. Will you allow God to work in you and through you so that in the end you can work out your salvation? We can so sometimes get so easily wrapped up with all the questions in this life. Anybody ever have questions that just go unanswered? No. Especially when reading Scripture. Is this God or is this me and my emotions? I go back to the verse that I need to work out my own salvation. With the fear and trembling. For it is God who works in me and in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Number two application point. Don't be passive. Be active. Don't be passive. Be active. Paul is not using this uh, let go and let God theology. That phrase can be used in other areas that we can trust God. Okay, and so on. But that, that's biblical. We, we get stuck with the question, why won't God take it away? Why is God allowing this to happen in my life? I've been in many counseling sessions with people, and they look at me, and they look at their addiction or their troubles, and they say, why won't God heal me? Why won't God take my addiction away? I've begged for him to take my addiction away. It's an everyday battle. Why won't he take that away? 
Or it could be that I just I just want control and I don't know how to let go of my control. All it takes is for one thing to go wrong and I go off the rail because I can be a control freak of my own life. If I'm honest with you, stress hits, overwhelming hits and it overwhelms my mind and my thinking. And I'm like, how did this happen? Many followers of Jesus left him because they realized the life of a believer was going to be difficult. If your confidence is in Jesus, we're called to work out as believers. We have to work out our own salvation. I don't know anyone that has a perfect life. We're a bunch of imperfect people looking to serve a perfect Savior. We have an imperfect church and and a, a, a church full of imperfect families because we're not perfect. He is. It's not about the work that we do. It's about doing life together. You can be the person that reads the Bible every day. You can go to church every Sunday. You can sing the songs. You can walk the aisle every single Sunday morning. You can throw. You can be the person that throws away their phone when it becomes a, a stumbling block. Put a, put a filter on your computer. You can do all of those things in the flesh, trying to impress God, trying to impress people. Or you can do the things because God is working in you and through you, and He wants you to be working it out with Him and through Him in a way that you live. Don't be passive in this life. Be active. Don't be passive in the church. Be active in the church. When things are going on, get involved with the family of the church. That is how things grow. That is how things blossom. That is how we're on mission together. And the last application is going to be very simple. Motivation and accountability is a must with God at the center. I'm a person huge of accountability. If I know I've got a Christian brother that is struggling in something, I'm going to check on them early. I'm going to check on them often because we're in this fight together. Guys, do not think that there is somebody you can't go to in this church when you're going through the struggles of this life. Ladies, don't think there's anything that you're going through in this church that you can't go to somebody in this church to do life with them. Because we want accountability. We want people to be held accountable. We want them to grow. We want them to blossom, to be the beautiful creature that God has created. But human accountability is not enough. We've got to do accountability with God. And you've got to ask yourself, am I doing what God wants me to do with my life? From the top down, when when looking at your children, when looking at your spouse, do I have the marriage that God wants me to have? Do I have the relationship with my kids that God wants me to have? Am I spending my finances in the way that God wants me to spend? Am I doing all of the things that God wants me to do? Am I serving the church in the way that God wants me to serve? You see how far the church is down on the list? It should be like fourth or fifth in your life. But it's so easy to put the church first. In my life, it is so easy to put the church first. And the family's on the back burner. Church, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I've got to stop. My family is first. My little girl, she is growing like a weed. She's going to kindergarten in about two months. Man. She, 
She's growing up. My wife needs me. My church family needs me. I get it. But my family needs me. And accountability is a must. So God's holding me accountable. Say, hey, have you spent time with your family this week? Have you spent time with Riley this week? Have you took Tiff to lunch this week? Keep me accountable. What if, what if we let God speak, let the Bible speak for itself? But how do we really do all of that? Do we have confidence that God's going to take care of us? And this is, this is the thing. David, David Platt, and I'm going to close with this. David Platt said, we, we live radically, not because we have to, but because we want to. Before I close in prayer, I asked you a question at the beginning of this message this morning. What is your emotional response when it says to work out your own salvation? Really, there's three different responses to that question. There's a rejection side that you will walk away and not care if you work it out or not. There are many people that sit in church every Sunday morning, they hear the message, and they walk away, and they do nothing with it. That is the first response. You're just not interested. You grew up in a home where you've been told, I'm saved, so I don't care. I'm going to heaven. Or maybe you feel like you can't do it on your own, and you can just do life on your own. The second response is discouragement. When you hear, work out your own salvation, you're just like, is there something else I have to do? I've tried to do everything. I've tried to read my Bible. I've tried to sing your songs. I've tried to worship. I've paid my bills. I've stayed on task. I tithe like I'm supposed to. Maybe I've, I've fallen off the rocker a little bit, but I've tithed. I've given money to the plate. But it's just caused you to be discouraged and you're wondering why all of these waves just seem to crash over you over and over and over. Maybe it's because your eyes got taken off of God and you started focusing on the world and what it offers. Do you have confidence that God will take care of you? Because I can be sure fact that the more I serve the more God blesses me. The more I give, the more God blesses me. The more I work in God's, in God's favor, the more He blesses my family. In church, we can say the same thing about us in the church. The church as a whole, when we give like God wants us to give, He gives it back to us abundantly. Most of the time, more than what we gave in the plate. He'll give it back. When we serve, we come back with a gladness that we serve. Remember serve week? When you serve with gladness, you come back to the church pumped up that you served. When we see production happening and new people walking in the church, we get excited because we see the work is at hand. We see those things that God's doing. When the fellowship hall gets remodeled, we're going to stand back and stand proud for what God has done. Oh, heartily. That's right. We'll have us a cookout. But then there's a third response. 
And that's to be delighted in what God's doing in this season of your life. And I think we have to remember that life is seasons. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about the seasons of this life. That there's a season for everything. Are you happy with the season that God has you in? Maybe it's hard right now, but you're looking through God's lens. And you're able to see it. That in the next couple of months or in the next couple of weeks, things will get better. And what God is doing in your life right now will determine how you handle it in the future. What, what if we let God speak? Let the Bible speak for itself. How can we go wrong with that? It goes back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not just in my presence only, but how now much more in my absence that, that you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. If you hear, if your ears can hear this command, you will know that it's a promise from God that he is right there with you. As our worship team comes up, they're going to sing a song, See It Victory. And maybe today you need a victory in your life. Maybe you feel like life has been nothing but waves crashing over you and you need a victory. And if that is you, would you run to the arms of the Father today? Maybe you are discouraged. Maybe you have been in that spot before where you just feel like things are not good and you haven't been interested. You're not on mission right now. Your heart is cold. If you're in the first two groups that I mentioned with rejection or discouragement, I'll see you at the altar today. Let's pray. Let's pray it out. And let's pray that you will get delighted in the Word again. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your promises. Lord, and I pray today that as we work out our own salvation, that we would do it together on mission. Lord, it's not about me. It's not about another person. It's not about individuality. But God, it is about us together. When we have questions of Scripture, that we will go to each other and ask those hard questions and that we will learn together. Lord, I believe that, that to work out our own salvation, we do have to answer some questions for ourselves. But Lord, will you have given us a body of believers that wholeheartedly believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's the central, most thought-provoking thing that, that we could believe in for a church. So God, help us work it out together. Lord, when one person struggles, let us all feel it. Let us be one. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And let us know today that we are loved in the sight of you. You love us unconditionally. Even when we fail you every day and we're in a repetitive sinful nature, you reach out your hand and you still love us. Lord, in this invitational time, I pray that if there's somebody here that's struggling in their walk, 
struggling in their relationship with you, struggling in their marriage, struggling in life, God, that you would call them out today and let them run to the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, see if it's your time.